Russia will invade Israel and Egypt. What we're going to do is we're going to simply look at one chapter in the Bible, a chapter which deals with Russia's invasion of the Middle East, and we're going to consider each verse in that chapter. And the chapter which I have chosen to look at this evening is Ezekiel chapter 38, which our chairman has just read for us. Now, this evening you won't have to go anywhere else in the Bible in terms of looking up verses because any verse outside that chapter to which I refer, I will have it for you on the screen. So if you could open your Bibles, please, at Ezekiel chapter 38, and if you don't have a Bible, I'm sure someone will be able to organise uh, for you to look on a Bible or get you one or do something of the sort. So we're going to Ezekiel chapter 38. All right? And when we go to that chapter, this is how it starts. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. So God sends a message to Ezekiel, who is here called the Son of Man. That's the title of Ezekiel. But we would remiss, be remiss, ladies and gentlemen, if we did also, also if we did not also recognise that that title, Son of Man is a title of the Lord Jesus Christ. And many times in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as the Son of Man. And for example, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 40, he said himself, Be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man, referring to himself, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. And you know, when we look at it, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who will ultimately set his face against Gog and destroy his power. But initially, as the message comes to Ezekiel, it is Ezekiel as the Son of Man who has to deliver the message. And we read, and, the Son of, and God said, Son of Man, set thy face against Gog. Who is Gog. Well, the word Gog in both the English and Hebrew Bible students' concordance, the meaning of that word Gog or the name Gog is the meaning of the word, the meaning of the name is a roof, while the Amplified Old Testament Bible says that Gog is a symbolic name for the leader of the world powers antagonistic to God. Now, a roof, of course, is something which is above. It's something at the top. And here is the scriptural title of the leader. He's the one at the top of a Russian confederacy which will invade the land of Israel in the latter days. And we know it's the latter days because we're told that in two verses in this chapter, in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 16, and also in verse 8. So when we come to look at it, we can see 
we will see that Gog is the title of a person who is the leader of a confederacy of nations. What nations is this Gog the leader of? And when we come to consider that matter, other translations can help us here. For example, if we were to take, if we were to take the New American Standard Bible translation of Ezekiel 38 and verse 2, this is what we would read. Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now it's not only the New American Standard Bible that talks about Rosh, Meshech and Tubal. You'll find that that's how Rotherham translates it. That's how the Jerusalem Bible translates it. It's how Young's Literal Translation has it. It's how the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, has it. It's how Moffat has it. And it's how I note in the Companion Bible also has it. So we notice that the nations that Gog is the leader of are Magog, Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. Where are the nations mentioned situated, ladies and gentlemen? Where are they situated? And here's the map, and if we were to trace the evidence, we won't be presenting all the evidence this evening. This is intended to be a simple, straightforward Bible lecture, but I will show you and give you places where you can look at the evidence for yourself. If you were to look at the evidence as to where these places are, then that map sets it forth. You can see where Rosh is, you can see where Meshech is, you can see where Tubal is, and you can see where Magog is. Alright, so as we have said, Gog is the leader of Magog, Rosh, Meshech and Tubal. There we have, as it were, Gog and his coalition. So the nations named comprise Russia and the countries of Central Europe. They are the nations against whom this prophecy in Ezekiel 38 is directed. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm saying before you this evening is nothing new so far as the Christadelphian community is concerned. For 170 years, the Christadelphian position has been that Rosh is the name of Russian, Russia in Hebrew. Now, I'm now going to show you a quote out of a book called Elpis Israel. Elpis Israel means the hope of Israel. And this is what we said right back on the 1st of January, 1850. The future movements of Russia are notable signs of the times because they are predicted in the scriptures of truth. They're predicted in the Bible. When Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, then let the reader know 
But the end of all things, as at present constituted, is at hand. The long-expected but stealthy advent of the King of Israel, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, will be on the eve of becoming a fact. And salvation will be to those who not only look for it, but have trimmed their lamps by believing the gospel of the kingdom unto the obedience of faith and the perfection thereof in fruits meet for repentance. So when we come to Ezekiel 38 and verse 2, Ezekiel is commanded to, by God to prophesy against a coalition of nations made up of Russia and the nations of Central Europe. And as I say, that's something we have been preaching for the last 170 years. All right. Well, what does God want the Son of Man, what does God want Ezekiel to say to Rosh, to Gog, the leader of these confederate nations? We're told in verse 3, God says to Ezekiel, Go and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And we'll take it again from the New American Standard Bible. It will be the same in those other versions I mentioned a moment ago. Go and say, says God, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the one at the top, the leader. Behold, I am against you, O leader of this confederacy, you who are the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. <coughs> now, note that when we've come to this verse, Magog is omitted from both the New American Standard Bible and from the authorised version. And so we've simply got now Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. And so we might pose the question at this point, who are Rosh, Meshach and Tubal? Now, Rosh, Meshach and Tubal are the ancient names in Hebrew for countries and places we know today as Russia, Moscow and Tobolsky. Russia, of course, is a land area. Moscow and Tobolsky are cities. <clears throat> now, as I indicated earlier, my purpose tonight is not to set forth proof of that statement, in Bible addresses on the same website as this address will be found, there are a number of talks where the proof is advanced. And on request, at the end of this meeting, or if you write to us or whatever, we will be delighted to forward you and give, or give you literature which sets out the proof. But if you would like some independent research, that by independent research I mean research which is not Christadelphian, research. There is a book which I would recommend on this subject, a book which was published I think originally back in 2003, there it is, and the book is called 
the prophecy that is shaping history. New research on Ezekiel's vision of the end. The author is a gentleman by the name of John Ruthven. He's a doctor, PhD, and he has done extensive research on this particular matter. This book is a book of 174 pages. As I said before, it is not a Christadelphian publication. The research is the most extensive research I have ever seen on this subject. The, bibliolog the bibliography at the end runs to some 700 references. It's available for purchase online, but it was last reprinted in 2011, and I know because of my own uh, research to try and get a copy, as I did, you'll have to be patient as you search because not too many booksellers have any copies available anymore, but you can get it, all right? Now that sets out the evidence as to why Rush, Rosh is the ancient name of Russia, why uh, 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 the other cities which we mentioned are named also, uh, with, also have the modern names which we set out before you in the previous slide. Rosh, the ancient name of Russia, Meshach, the ancient name of Moscow, and Tubal, the ancient name of Tobolsky, as we know them today. All right. So, this is a prophecy about those countries in the days in which we are living. Let's read now verse 4, the next verse in Ezekiel 38. God says in the authorised version, I will turn me back and put hooks into thy jaws and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armour, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Now as a matter of fact, when you look at it closely, in this verse, Yahweh, that's the name of the God of the Bible, God is actually being presented as a fisherman. And what he's done, he's baited his fishing hook with the attractive bait of the nation and the land of Israel. Now in the authorised version it starts in verse 4, it says, I will turn thee back. All right. But a number of translations, a number of translations, for example, the ESV, English Standard Version, Rotherham and the New American Standard Bible have, I will turn thee about. Speaking about Rosh and the Confederate nations, I will turn thee about. And you see, Gog is going to be enticed to follow the course that God has set out for him. As a matter of fact, in figurative language, Gog will be like a crocodile with hooks in its mouth being pulled to land for destruction. That's the picture which is really being presented in that verse. 
And that imagery is not only in that in this verse, it's actually in the uh, imagery which occurs earlier in Ezekiel. It occurs back in Ezekiel chapter 29 and verse 34. All right. Now, you may ask, well, will Gog's army, will the Rosh army be made up of horses and horsemen? And will they be armed with bucklers and shields and swords? And the answer to that is that this prophecy of Ezekiel, which we're considering this evening, is dated about 600 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, the prophecy had to be able to be understood from that day to this. From that day to this. It had to be able to be understood right down through the millennia by people with no concept about motor cars, no concept about jet planes, no concept about space travel, no concept about what a bomb was, let alone atomic bombs or nuclear weapons, no idea about satellite navigation, etc., etc., etc. And if Ezekiel had been written in those terms, 600 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, no one would have understood what the prophecy was about. But the prophecy is written in a language which is understandable. It's understandable and able to convey a message to people living during the last three millennia. All right? We know we're talking about weapons of war. That's what they were to Ezekiel. And that's what is being spoken about as well in our own day. Not literally horses, not literally bucklers, not literally shields, but we're talking about weapons of war. Weapons of war, which in fact exist in our day, which of course are far more sophisticated. Now, what I want you to do, or what I'd like you to do, I would like you to note that in this verse, which we're considering, that's verse 4, as well as in verse 7, verse 13, and verse 15, that the great army is described as a company. A company. And the Hebrew word translated company in these places is kahal. It's spelled Q-A-H-A-L in the original Hebrew language. Now, as a matter of fact, that same Hebrew word kahal is translated 86 times in the authorised version of the Old Testament as congregation. Congregation. And the theological word book of the Old Testament says that kahal especially denotes an assembly for religious purposes an assembly for religious purposes. So you see, this invading force has a religious connotation, a religious connotation associated with it. And as a matter of fact, when you look at what is happening in Russia today, you can see the religious connotation. 
Because, in fact, Mr. Putin uses the Russian Orthodox Church to expand his empire, to establish his power, and so forth and so on. The Eastern Orthodox Church is officially called the Orthodox Catholic Church. It's the second largest Christian, so-called Christian church in the world. It has some 220 million members and roughly half of those 220 million members are located in Russia. Their views and their doctrines are similar to those of Roman Catholics, but of course there is one great point of divergence between the two, and that is the dispute about the authority of the Pope. And of course attempts at reconciliation have been underway for some time. The Orthodox Catholic Church, and bear in mind we're talking about the invasion of Israel this evening, the Orthodox Catholic Church has extensive holdings of land in Israel. And what you might find surprising is this, that the Knesset, that's the parliament, the parliament building of the Israeli nation, the Knesset and the Israeli Prime Minister's official residence are in fact built on land which is owned by the Orthodox Catholic Church. We find that difficult to understand in Australia, but in places like the Middle East where there has been a considerable mix-up in the past over many matters, that in fact is how it stands today. And among the properties owned by the Orthodox Catholic Church in the land of Israel is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So you see, there are religious overtones associated with the invasion from the north. The invasion will come with the assistance and blessing of the church. So you might say to me, all right, well, I've heard what you said, but do you believe that Mr. Putin is God? Is Mr. Putin God? And the best answer that I can give you to that is maybe, all right, maybe. But at this stage, it's impossible to say one way or the other with certainty. Time will tell. Certainly, a Russian leader will arise to fulfil the position of Gog, as it is set out for us in Ezekiel chapter 38. Right, let's come now to the next two verses in Ezekiel 38, verses 5 and 6, where it says, Persia, Ethiopia and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, helmet, Goma and all his bands, the house of Togoma, Togama of the north quarters and all his bands, and many people with thee. Alright, well here on this map you can see the location of those particular places. You can see where Persia is, it's not called Persia today, of course, it's called Iran or Iraq in that area, but in the days gone by in history and even in modern history, reasonably modern history, it was called Persia. You can see Persia, you can see where Ethiopia is, we know where Libya is. Goma is in the area of France and Togama is in the area of Turkey. 
So these two verses in Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 38 verses 5 and 6, are linking these nations as being supporters and confederate with Rob, with Russia, with the Gog, with the leader of the Russian nation, as the invasion of the Middle East takes place. These nations are confederate with Rosh. So we come to verse 7, where <coughs> the command comes, <coughs> pardon please, Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company, and we've got the word again, all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. We also have the word assembled in that verse. And assembled, the word assembled is translated from a cognate Hebrew word to that translated company. And so again, we have the implication of religious overtones associated with this military invasion of the Middle East. And we're told in that verse, verse 7, that Gog is to be a guard unto them. And what that really suggests is, it suggests the dictatorial authority which Russia will exercise over this confederacy of nations. He's going to guard them. He's going to guide them. He's going to make sure what they do and when they do it. So we come to verse 8. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years, now that terminology, ladies and gentlemen, normally refers to our own days, and it does here as well. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel which have, all, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely, all of them. So the first thing to notice as I indicated as we read the verse is that this is a prophecy concerning the latter years. The time is described as the latter days in verse 16. It's a prophecy which is dealing with our times. Now, there's an alternative translation of the opening phrase of the verse, verse 8, and this, if you were to look in the Rotherham translation, you would find reads this way. After many days thou shalt muster thy forces. See, what we're trying to do, ladies and gentlemen, is get a clear concept of what the word of God is actually saying. So, after many days, the Rotherham version of the Bible translates it, thou shalt muster thy forces. The New American Bible says, after many days you will be summoned. All right? So that gives a slightly different understanding to after many days thou shalt be visited. All right? So it's a prophecy dealing with our times and we're being told or Ezekiel was being told that he had a say to the invader, after many days thou shalt be, thou shalt muster thy forces. So the northern invader, Russia, and the nations confederate with her, is going to come into the land, as verse 8 tells us, 
that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people is going to come against the mountains of Israel. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a wonderful prophecy, an absolutely wonderful prophecy that the Jewish people would be back in their land as a nation, as a nation in the land at the time of the Russian invasion. And so what that boils down to, ladies and gentlemen, is only in recent years, it's only basically in our times that this prophecy could have a fulfilment. It's yet to be fulfilled, of course. The invasion is yet to be fulfilled. But it could not be fulfilled before the nation of Israel, before the Jewish people were back occupying their ancient homeland. That's what that verse is telling us. And this return of the Jews to the Middle East is the subject of many, many Bible prophecies and was long expected by Bible students. The Jews, as you might recall, had been cast out of their land by the Romans in AD 70 and they were scattered into all the countries of the world. All right? And what that was, as the New Testament reveals, it was God's punishment upon them because of their crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have lived as outcasts in many Gentile countries until some gradually started to return in the late 1800s. The Apostle Paul declared in the book of Romans in chapter 11 that despite the fact of all the things which the Jewish people had done, including the crucifixion of his son, that God had not cast away his people. He had not cast them away. He was upset. He was um, disappointed is not the right word. He was um, uh, concerned. Uh, he was uh, put out, if you like, about the fact that he sent them his son and the Jewish people crucified the Messiah he sent to them. All right. So the fact that God had not cast away his people is now evidenced, isn't it, by the fact that a number of Jewish people, as a matter of fact, about half the Jewish people in the world have returned to live in the land of Israel in complete accordance with Bible prophecy. And you will know that in 1948 they were granted statehood. Now, this is what we said, this is what the Christadelphians said on the basis of Bible prophecy and the nation of Israel right back in again 1848 and again I'm quoting this book, Elpis Israel, The Hope of Israel. And we said then on the basis of what the Bible teaches, there is then a partial and primary restoration of the Jews before the manifestation of Jesus Christ, that's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, before the manifestation of Jesus Christ, which is to serve as the nucleus or basis of future operations in the restoration of the rest of the tribes after he, after Christ has appeared in the kingdom. The pre-adventual, that is, before Christ returns, the pre-adventual colonisation of Palestine will be on purely political principles 
and the Jewish colonists will return in unbelief of the Messiahship of Jesus and the truth as it is in him. They will immigrate thither as agriculturalists and traders in the hope of establishing, ultimately establishing their commonwealth. All right? Now, anyone who had studied their Bible could have come to that conclusion because the Bible is absolutely clear about that. I'm simply making the point. This is what we have been saying for 170 years and we have lived to see the Jewish people back in their land in the Middle East. All right, so we now come to the last phrase of that verse we're considering um, in Ezekiel 38 and verse 8. In the authorised version it says, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. The New American Standard Bible says, and they are living securely. They are living securely, all of them. And you know, if you look at the Jewish people in the Middle East today, despite all the difficulties, despite all the attacks by the Arab people or whoever, they do live securely. They think they're secure. They've got their iron dome to fend off rocket attacks and all sorts of things. They've got it. But, ladies and gentlemen, the fact is this, that the Jewish people's sense of security is false. It's false. Because no matter how smart the Jewish people are, no matter how good their intelligence might be, no matter how, uh, how advanced their technology might be, no matter what their defence systems are, they will be no match at all, no match at all for the onslaught of the northern invaders which are described in verse 9. These invaders from the north, Rosh and his confederate forces. So we read in verse 9, speaking about the invasion by Rosh and his confederates. Verse 9 says, Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a, a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. Thou is the Russian invader. Russian invader. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Then verses 10 to 12, Let us into the mind of Gog, as he decides to invade the land of Israel. So we'll read verses 10 to 12, 10 to 12 together. Verse, starting in verse 10. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall come to pass, that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely or confidently as the margin has it, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bards nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places, as Israel was before the Jews came back, upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods, that dwell in the midst of the land. All right. 
So that's according to the prophecy of Ezekiel, what the invader, what Rosh, what the leader of the Russian Confederacy is going to think. They're going to go into this land which the Jews have regenerated in more recent times and they're coming to take a spoil and to take a prey. So the invader is going to come but when he comes Israel will have some sympathisers and the sympathisers will attempt unsuccessfully but nevertheless will attempt to defend her. So we read in verse 13, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? Alright, so some of the people or some of the nations or countries which are going to come to Israel's uh, defence unsuccessfully as I say but nevertheless are described as Sheba and Dedan, that's two, we'll look at someone, another one in a minute. Sheba of course is situated near the Straits of Bab el Mandeb uh, and the Dedan is again situated near the entrance to the Persian Gulf. It may well in fact be that Sheba and Dedan are a general description of Saudi Arabia. So anyway, there's going to come some opposition to this Russian invasion of Israel. That's what we are being told. Alright, not only were Sheba, uh, Sheba and Dedan going to oppose the invasion, but the merchants of Tarshish and the young lions thereof are likewise going to be in opposition, come in opposition to this invasion of the Middle East by Russia and those confederate uh, with her. And so we believe that we can prove that Tarshish is in fact a description of the United Kingdom or more particularly Great Britain. And you might notice that the Britain that the that the that the description is of the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof. All right. Now that is how Britain has depicted herself on the right hand side of that slide. In the left hand panel of the right hand side, you have a World War One poster. Britain being re represented as the great lion. The young lions with her are overseas countries like Australia and Canada and so forth and so on. And again in the right hand side of the right hand of the slide you have Britain again being represented as a lion. They were World, one, World War I posters depicting Britain as the old lion with her young lion and associates. So the opposition to Russia's invasion of the Middle East will come from Great Britain, Commonwealth countries and some Arab countries represented as we have seen in the verse by Sheba and Dedan. All right. So 
the invasion takes place. The opposition opposes the invasion. But what is God's reaction to that? What's God's reaction to Russia's invasion of the Middle East and in particular the land of Israel? Well, God's furious reaction is set out for us in verses 18 to 22, where we read, And it shall come to pass at the same time, when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. And in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, says God, and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I'll call for a sword against the invader. I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God, and every man's sword shall be against his brother. And I will plead against him, against the invader, with pestilence and with blood, and will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him, and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, this in fact is what the Bible in another place describes as Armageddon and describes in chapters like Joel chapter 3 and, uh, and uh, Daniel chapter 11. God is going to intervene in this battle. Rosh is not going to be allowed to get, gain control of the Middle East. Rosh is not going to be allowed to destroy the Jewish people. That's what we are being told in the clearest terms in those verses which we have just read. God's fury is going to come up in his face, we are told, and he's going to use the forces of nature and other things to make sure that the battle which is raging between the, the Russian Confederacy and these other nations which we have spoken about goes nowhere, goes nowhere at all. This just simply sets out the two opposing forces. Gog at the top, then you've got Magog, Rosh, Meshach and Shubal, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya and Goma. All right? Now they're the confederate nations which invade the Middle East. To, to Goma as well, which is Turkey. All right? But then they've come to invade Israel and Israel will be supported by Sheba, as we saw, by Dedan, probably a reference to Saudi Arabia, and also by Tarshish. So they're the nations which are gathered together there in fierce battle in the land of Israel and the surrounding territories. All right. So here we've got a map on the left-hand side of the slide which indicates the invasion of the Middle East. The forces, we are told, not so much in Ezekiel 38, but for example in Daniel chapter 11, which deals with the same subject matter, they're going to come down through the land, through the air, through the sea, 
and they're going to come down into the land of Egypt and then for a reason which is not made clear to us, the invaders come up and establish this power base in the land of Israel itself. That's how the Bible sets it out. So if we look at it down the right-hand side, these comments are based on Ezekiel 38, Joel 3 and Daniel 11. Russia will firstly invade Turkey. Then by sea, air and land she sweeps south through Israel into Egypt. She is induced then by circumstances to return to Israel and establish the base of her military operations there. War erupts between the opposing forces. Christ and his immortal followers with the power of God intervene. Armageddon occurs, Russia and the other invading forces are destroyed. That is how the Bible sets it out. Now, what then is the result of the divine intervention in this battle of Armageddon? Well, the result is that the God of heaven, Yahweh, will be recognised as supreme among the surviving nations on earth. That's set out for us in the, um, in the last verse of this 38th chapter of uh, Ezekiel. God says, Thus will I magnify myself, having intervened in the battle of Armageddon, having brought divine intervention against the uh, warring forces, thus will I magnify myself and uh, sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, in the concluding minutes in this address, I want to go back, actually, to the closing verses of the previous chapter the closing verses of Ezekiel chapter 37. Because Ezekiel chapter 37, ladies and gentlemen, is often misunderstood. It is assumed that because Ezekiel 37 comes before Ezekiel 38 in the word of God, that some people feel or assume that what it says in Ezekiel 37 happens before Ezekiel chapter 38. However, that is not the case. And often what the Bible does, it sets out the ultimate outcome, which we have in Ezekiel 37, and then comes back to show how the ultimate outcome will be attained. In this case, as is set out, as I say, in Ezekiel 38. So I'll just look at the final verses of Ezekiel chapter 37 and we'll start in verse 24. And David my servant shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Now this is a glorious picture of what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and reigns on earth. I know it says that this is, it talks about David in that verse. But the name David simply means or, or has the meaning of the beloved. And in this reference, it's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was dearly beloved of his father. 
This is my beloved son, said God, of the, of, the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It also talks about David, my servant. David, my servant, and the Lord Jesus Christ was a faithful servant. There has never been a more faithful servant than him. And significantly, and that's why I've really come here, ladies and gentlemen, significantly it was David who of old, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, we are told, brought all the tribes of Israel together and then in part, that in part is what Ezekiel 37 is about. The national resurrection and uniting of all the 12 tribes of Israel are what, what is set out for us in Ezekiel chapter 37. And you can see what happened back in the days of David. You can see why there's a reference to David in these closing verses of Ezekiel 37. Now back in 2 Samuel chapter 5, this is what we read. Then came all the tribes of Israel, all of them. Now at the moment, ladies and gentlemen, and this will be true at Armageddon as well, or they're roughly true at any rate, you've got half the Jews back in the land, the other half are scattered throughout the world, all right? But there's going to come a time when they will be all united in the land. And they'll be united in the land by the Lord Jesus Christ after he comes and after he intervenes in the Battle of Armageddon. So, but you can see why the name David has come in here. It means beloved. The Lord Jesus Christ was beloved. And this is the same kind of work that the Lord's going to do as David has done in the past. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David under Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are bone of thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that ledest out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king, came to King David in Hebron. And King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David as king over Israel. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved, is going to become king over all the tribes of Israel, in fact over the whole world, when he returns and after he has intervened in the battle of Armageddon. All right, Ezekiel 37, verses 25 and 26. And they shall dwell in the land, that's the Israel, Jewish people, the Israelitish people, and they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David, as I say, a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my servant David shall be prince, shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. What is this sanctuary? What is this sanctuary? Well, a sanctuary referred to here, ladies and gentlemen, is the house of prayer for all nations. The sanctuary 
which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to build at Jerusalem after the Battle of Armageddon. And that temple, that sanctuary, is a building approximately 1.6 kilometres square. It's built around Mount Zion and I'm not going to go into the details of it this evening but it's an absolutely marvellous house of prayer which will be built at Jerusalem in the Middle East after the Battle of Armageddon has occurred, after the ravages of war have been destroyed and taken away, after all the Jewish people have been brought back into the land, not just half of them as it is at the moment. And then that leads us to the final verse of Ezekiel chapter 37. And the heathen, is simply a name for the Gentiles, and you and I, unless we are Jews, are Gentiles. And the Gentiles shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. And so, ladies and gentlemen, there's a wonderful time coming on earth. Sure, the Battle of Armageddon will take place. Sure, Russia will invade Israel and Egypt, as we have seen. But that will lead to greater and better and marvellous things being established in the earth when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to establish God's kingdom, to rule as king in that kingdom, to rule from Jerusalem, where this marvellous house of prayer will be established. That is good news concerning God's coming kingdom. That's the gospel of the kingdom. We believe that every one of us here can have a part in that kingdom. You can only get into the kingdom on conditions. And if you comply with the conditions, if you live faithfully, then you can have an absolutely glorious life in immortality, living in peace and righteousness under the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes and establishes God's kingdom here on earth.